morning everyone when jesus was leaving this earth he gave the church a mission we call it the great commission and it is found in scripture in matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 20 where jesus is speaking to the people who are gathered there particularly the apostles the disciples and he says from verse 18 all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end end of the age isn't it fascinating that that god chose men to preach the gospel that god chose human beings to spread the news of of the of his salvation the greatest message ever was entrusted to the hands of of men and women to be carried to the ends of the of the earth the good news of of god saving people saving sinners from their sin is the message that the church is on a mission to carry to the ends of the earth this morning as we look at our text in 2 corinthians i want you to trust god for the mission to which he has called you the mission of god is the mission of the church and the mission of the church is the mission of the members of the church and we will see from our text today how you can be a true gospel bearer the one who bears the most important message of god's salvation and in two important important ways Firstly a true gospel bearer lives the gospel amidst his or her weakness and is thankful We catch the story in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12 where Paul is 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 now talking in his letter to the corinthians he's telling them of his plans and how he moved from from where he was to the region of troas troas was a a coastal town which was the link between macedonia and asia minor so paul was in ephesus for some time he moves to troas and and paul notes and he tells the corinthians that as he came to troas to preach the gospel a door was opened for him in in the lord so paul is is more like you know writing a travel log and he's telling you know i went to troas and wow I went there to preach the gospel and wow god opened a door a window of opportunity the church there needed my service the people there needed to hear the gospel and god brought this wonderful opportunity so that through my life and my message i can i can impact people's lives i can edify the church i can bring this message i can bear witness to the message of jesus christ to the lost people of troas and it was a window or it, it was a it was a door that was opened the door being the the idea of door being used here is the idea of an opportunity coming up so it was a divine opportunity that we see in in verse 12 a great opportunity for a true gospel bearer 
to give the message of the gospel to people there. But in verse 13, we see a concern coming. So Paul says, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest. Because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So he's gone to Troas. But over there, his spirit is not at, at, at rest. He's uncomfortable. He's anxious about something. And what is that something? He's anxious that he's not seeing Titus, his brother. Titus had gone to Corinth. Paul had sent Titus to, to Corinth to find out, most probably bearing that painful letter, the tearful letter that he had written to the church at Corinth. What was wrong at Corinth? There were a bunch of guys who had come and who had misled the church by telling them that how can you believe Paul, a person who is struggling and suffering? He's being persecuted. He's being buffeted from here to there. He's walking in weakness. He only writes big, big stuff. So he can't be an apostle. And the church sided with, this, with these guys. And the church, when Paul visited them, they were against him. They said, we don't accept you as our apostle. And Paul was pained. So he comes back, writes this letter. Titus takes this letter to Corinth. And these, these are not the days of uh, instant messaging. You know, so Titus goes there and he puts a WhatsApp status saying, all is well. And Paul immediately sees it. He doesn't send an email from there or an SMS saying, Paul, just so that you know, stuff is good, I'll give you details later. No, I mean, there's no news. So Paul is now at Troas, a window of opportunity divinely has opened for him, but his heart and his spirit is not at rest. Because he doesn't know what has happened to Titus. If the people of Corinth, if the church at Corinth rejected Paul and inflicted insult and injury upon him, what happened to Titus? Maybe they would have done the same with him. What if they, they did not accept him? Had they attacked Titus like they did to him? Was he welcomed and extended brotherly love? Was his letter accepted and read? Did they understand Paul's concern and love for them? Did they respond in humility? Were, were they arrogant? And, and are they continuing to deny Paul and deny the gospel and walk in darkness? These are the, the situations and, and just the uncertainty and the unclarity of the situations which are weighing down on Paul and he's eager to know. He's eager for the welfare of Titus and he's also eager for knowing whether the church at Corinth has finally repented or not. His greatest concerns, Paul elsewhere in this letter says, he has a daily anxiety for the churches. He's a man who is burdened not for his own, but for the sake of the gospel. And now this agony and the anxiety is weighing on him so much that he says no to the open window or the open door of opportunity and he says, I took leave of them and I went over to Macedonia. So Paul's concern for Titus and the church and his inability to, to just be confident at that time or his inability to, to bear that, that agony and anxiety at that time causes him now to leave the church at Troas and move to Macedonia. What does it look like? It looks like Paul is weak. The Corinthian readers, reading it the way Paul has worded it, 
would ask the question, hey, on one side you've got a divinely open door. A door which God had opened for you. And now you've got a personal concern and because of this personal concern you're moving to Macedonia. Are you really strong? Why do you let your weakness get the best out of you? Or the better out of you? So Paul might come out over here as, as being somebody who is weak, who gives in to his emotions, who is concerned about the well-being of, of people rather than the preaching of the gospel. All these things could come out of this, this little travelogue that he has written. But in the very next verse, Paul bursts out surprisingly in, into thanksgiving. Let's look at verse uh, 14. But... Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Paul bursts out in, into thanksgiving. He's not defending, but he's redirecting the attention of his readers to the work of God. And he's thanking God for that. Now there is an imagery at play over here. It is the imagery of, a, of the famous Roman triumphal procession. Whenever a general of Rome would go and fight the, the, the barbarians or an enemy and win a victory and, and win over them and come back to Rome, then he would be welcomed by Rome with great pomp and show. The entire city would be decorated and the main path of that city would have crowds cheering on this general who is walking ahead. And behind him would be the captives, the people whom he has enslaved, the people whom he has brought captives. And now they would be behind him, the Roman general would be in front of him, probably on, a, on his... On his majestic horse and, and well dressed and it is a proud moment for Rome and the city of Rome now cheers him on at the same time boos the captives. The captives are then led to the middle of the city and in a famous place they are made a public spectacle of that this is Rome, this is the power of Rome. And then most of them are killed. And at the same time to celebrate this, this triumph or this victory, there are sacrifices which are offered in the temple of Jupiter in Rome. And then you have the smoke of this bellowing up. And incense is poured into it. And the entire city is filled with the fragrance of victory. From wherever you are in the city, you look towards the temple of Jupiter, you see the smoke coming up. And you know that there is a victory that has happened. So this is the imagery that Paul is alluding to. But thanks be to God who in Christ leads us in triumphal procession. Now who is leading this triumphal procession? Paul uses this imagery and he says, God is leading this procession. There's a victory. And who is the general right in front there? It is God. Now, who is he leading? He is leading us. Who is the us? It is the apostles. It is the bearers of the gospel. It is the messengers of the gospel. The captives, the slaves, the slaves to the general, and in this case the slaves to God, who are being led. There are two things that we, we notice over here. 
Paul identifies himself and the apostles and the bearers of the gospel to captives who are walking in the triumphal procession of God. He identifies himself as a slave. Slave to whom? Slave unto God. A true bearer of the gospel identifies himself with a new master, with God, as a slave unto the Lord. Paul's life exemplifies what he preaches. Paul was a rebel, a barbarian of sorts when it comes to the mission of God. He was against God and his mission. Paul did not want anything to do with Christ. He wanted to enslave the Christians so that they never preach the gospel. But here you are, the rebel Paul, now identifying himself as a captive to God. He's got a new master. The gospel is at work in Paul. The gospel is, is, is being manifested in his very life. When he says, that I, whatever I knew, you know what, whatever I had, I count it all loss. And now I am a slave unto Christ. So Paul identifies himself as, as a slave. But not only that, we also see Paul's point of life. Paul's point of life. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Not only Paul identifies himself as a slave, but then he also identifies himself using that imagery as a slave who is moving to be made a public spectacle of. The slave is not going for a party. The slave is moving over there so that he will be made a public spectacle of the victory of the general. That's his point in life. To be spent out for his master. To be poured out as a drink offering just like Christ. His point is not to gain people's attention to himself. But his point is to be spent out. And that's what he says. And he leads us in triumphal procession. Paul is telling the Corinthians that the very point of the gospel in my life is to highlight my weaknesses. I am not ashamed of my weaknesses. I am not ashamed of my shortcomings. Because it is God who is leading me in this. It is God who has made me his slave. It is God who is leading me to declare his victory, to declare what he has done so that he gets the glory through my life being spent out. That's his point. And so, he is thankful. Now what is he saying? As I am being paraded after God who is in a victory march, through me, Paul, Christ is spreading, God is spreading the fragrance of his knowledge. Through my life of a slave, through my life of being spent out, God is spreading his message. That is a true gospel bearer. A true gospel bearer bears the mark of the gospel in his own life. 
and the point of his life is to lay down his life to the glory of God by the proclamation of the gospel. What is Paul spreading? Paul is spreading the knowledge of him everywhere, the knowledge of God everywhere, of the, of the general everywhere. That's the function of Paul. Paul says, I'm no hero. I'm no superhero. At best, I'm a slave on death row. That's my identity. That's who I am. So Corinthians, dear church, when you look at my weakness, when you look at my frailty, when you look at my persecutions, when you look at my sufferings, when you look at my mistakes, my humanness, and my inabilities, oh, remember, it is God who is leading me. It is the gospel which is at work in me. Because in my weakness, Christ shows his strength. In my shortcomings, Christ is glorified. That is the gospel. When we were unable, absolutely unable to do anything good, Christ died for us. And the moment Christ saved us, we are on this, we are on this triumphal procession. Where God uses us as instruments for His glory. A true gospel bearer lives the gospel amidst his or her weaknesses and is thankful. So dear church, as, as true gospel bearers, I urge you to live the gospel amidst your weaknesses and be thankful. What does it mean to live the gospel, live your identities as people, those who have been, have been saved from darkness to light. Live your identity as, as slaves of Christ. Remember that, that God works through our weaknesses, through our change of plans, through our fail, frailties. It is his mission. At best, we are like Paul on that procession, full of weaknesses. But in our weaknesses, he shows his strength and brings him glory. There's a principle of gospel sharing. We don't have to be flamboyant, skilled at speech, perfect in life, have an exemplary marriage, be above reproach in parenting, be the best employee at our work. We don't need to have conquered every fear. We don't need to have conquered every anxiety. We don't need to be immune or numb to agony of our shortcomings. We don't have to be above sin or absolutely immune to sin and temptations and trials in our life to preach the gospel. We don't need to be all of that. Many times we think that I myself am falling and failing in so many areas. Look at me. How can I take this message to the others? Remember, in your weakness, Christ displays His strength when you trust in Him. What is needed is the gospel truth inside. Your identity that you belong to Christ and working this truth outside Saying, I no longer live for myself, but I live for Christ. I no longer live for my, my own name, my own passion. 
But Lord, use me. <clears throat> Make a public spectacle of me. To your glory. That's the gospel inside working itself outside. This means that knowing that we are redeemed, rescued and, and brought to life in Christ from death. This means that knowing that we are slaves to Christ. This means that we are on a mission for the glory of God. This means that God is leading us. This means that God is using us to spread His glory because of Christ and His work in us. Our weaknesses are not stumbling blocks. Our weaknesses are opportunities that God uses when we depend and trust on Him and push forward in that mission. He uses them to amplify His glory. Whatever stage in life that you are, dear brother, dear sister, whatever weaknesses that you have, Whatever mistakes you think you have made, trust in the Lord and march on. We are marching to make more of Him. Our weaknesses by His strength bring glory to Him. Paul was the apostle to the church. So dear elders, there will be many times where you feel that your weaknesses have got the best of you and you feel like giving up. <clears throat> but nobody is asking for perfection. What is being asked and expected is confession and dependence. Be focused on preaching the gospel and living it out. Weaknesses and frailties are but opportunities to depend on God. Don't let weaknesses become a point of giving up. But opportunities to depend on God and provide evidence for the work of the gospel within. Don't let mistakes shortcomings, desire for perfection bog you down. We bring our weaknesses to the Lord and we see Him working mightily through them. The second trait of a true gospel bearer is that a true gospel bearer sincerely Proclaims the gospel and is reliant. Verse 15, Paul now takes the same imagery but he supersedes it. And he talks about the aroma of Christ. Now let's look at verse 15. For we that is the apostles, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The two important aspects of gospel proclamation come out in this imagery. First he talks of the aroma of Christ. You have to look at the words closely over here. For we the apostles are the aroma of Christ to God. The imagery shifts from the Roman pagan sacrifice in the victory of this, of this general and moves towards the imagery of the temple, the Jewish temple, the sacrifices. If you read the Old Testament carefully and as these sacrifices are being performed 
Moses records for us an interesting phrase. That as the sacrifice is, is given, the burnt offerings are offered in worship to the Lord. The smoke goes up as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. An aroma pleasing to the Lord. So Paul now shifts this imagery. And he talks now about the apostles. The true bearers of the gospel being the aroma. The aroma of what? The aroma of Christ. The aroma of the sacrifice of Christ to God. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Paul says, I, Paul, am the aroma, a good smell. The pleasing smell of the sacrifice of Christ to God. As he preaches the gospel, as he lives out the gospel, his act of preaching and living out the gospel is the aroma of Christ to God. The primary Benefactor of the ministry of the gospel is God. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. But he also says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. While his preaching of the gospel is a pleasing aroma to God, the preaching of the gospel is done to the people. And there are two categories of people. The ones who are being saved and the ones who are perishing. Verse 16, to one, to one group, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. The preaching of the gospel, he says, is an aroma to God, but it is also a fragrance to the people. Now, interesting that he has used two different words, the aroma and then fragrance. The aroma is a pleasing aroma, but fragrance is a neutral odor. It could be good or it could be bad. He says, to the people, I am the fragrance of Christ. Again, again the, 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 it's the message. When I preach Christ crucified, it's an act of worship to God. But to the people... It is a fragrance. It brings them to a point of judgment. To one, he says, this, this message of, of Jesus dying on the cross is life to life. Which means it gives them, it gives them life in their deadness and it takes them all the way to an eternal life with God. That's one category of people to those who are being saved. But the same message, the same message to the other category of people who are perishing. It is the message of the fragrance of death to death. In the World War II, one of the innovations in warfare was chemical warfare. Where the enemies used to be put into these huge buildings, tightly packed and sealed. And they would be stuffed inside. Hundreds of them. And then there would be a poisonous gas which would be left out. Which would cause people to die. 
Paul says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is a message of death to death because a self-righteous person will listen to the work of Jesus on the cross and he will say, you know what, I don't need that. You know what, I am sufficient for myself. A person who listens to the gospel and thinks that history chapter 5, that's fine. When a person is sinking in the, in the sea and is offered that ring which can save him and he says, I don't want it. He's already dying. He's already dying. But now what makes it worse is that there was a lifeline given to this person and because of his, I don't know what, Maybe his self-righteousness, maybe his pride, maybe his ignorance, or maybe whatever the reason. He said no to it. Some people on the boat might say, man, then he deserves to die. Because he just rejected it. The very thing that could save him. That's the idea here. To a person who is already perishing, when the greatest news of God's salvation is born and witnessed to, to him. It is a message of death to death. Or death and greater death. When they reject it. But to the one who is being saved by God. The message of the cross is a fragrance, is a breath of, of fresh air, is, is life. I don't know how many of you have had the experience of being underwater. And there it comes a point when you are underwater where you are so desperate for, for breathing. That every muscle in your body just wants oxygen. You start burning. And finally when you make it to the surface and you take that breath, man it brings back life. The message of the gospel to the one who is being saved brings that life. Not just physical life, but life for eternity. A relationship with God. A relationship with God. And Paul says that my message, which is the fragrance of Christ, has these two effects on people. Either they reject it, or they accept it. Either it leads them to death or it leads them to life. That is the clarity with which he preaches the gospel. It brings them to a point of decision. And we're not talking about a preference here. It is a life decision. It is a decision which determines eternity. It is a life and death scenario. So the two aspects that we see, what Paul highlights over here, is that he, he looks at his preaching of the gospel or bearing witness to the gospel as an aroma of Christ to God, which is an act of worship. Remember how serious the priest had to be for that sacrifice to be pleasing before the Lord. They had to be meticulous. They had to be obedient. They had to follow it to the dot. It's, it's, it's an act of worship. And secondly, it, it weighed, the weight of the message that, we, that, we, that Paul is preaching determines life and death. 
Now if the preaching of the gospel being an act of worship and then leading people on to the point of decision between life and death if this is what gospel preaching is all about Paul asks a question who is sufficient for all these things how can a man like me who is captive to Christ suffering and 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 wearing myself out we in weakness how can i bear this message how can i affect life and death how can i how can my preaching be an aroma pleasing in the sight of god who is sufficient for all these things that's what he says in the second half of verse 16 who is sufficient for these things and verse 17 he says for we are not like so many peddlers of god's word but as men of sincerity as men of sincerity this is we not we not we not sufficient for all these things later on in chapter chapter 3 he asks the same question or rather he answers the same thing if you just look down little further in your bibles Uh, verse 4 such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God you see the similarity there not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us but our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant the sufficiency comes from God who is sufficient to carry such a message he says in that also i am weak dear corinthian church in that also i am weak but my sufficiency comes from god he makes me competent and that is what he says we are not like so many peddlers of god's word but as men of sincerity as commissioned by god in the sight of god we speak in christ interestingly in the function of evangelism there is nothing different between paul being the apostle and us being the members of cross culture church today we are called to preach the gospel we are called to be ministers to one another and to preach the gospel outside in all sincerity remember that when you preach the gospel you are the aroma of christ to god it's not in the fantastic way you articulate the gospel no it is because he makes you competent he gives you the sufficiency but i want you to know this morning that not preaching the gospel is a problem so how can we help a few things that we can keep in mind as we we think about preaching the gospel one is look at the first principle the first principle that we saw a true gospel true gospel bearer is the one who is who lives out the gospel amidst his weaknesses weaknesses don't come as stumbling blocks but amidst weaknesses preaches the gospel and is thankful to god who is leading you so stop thinking about i'm not competent you you will never be competent to preach the gospel can you by your own strength can you by your own creativity please god no it is only in christ that you can please god even our prayers we pray in the name of christ we can't can you by your own strength and words and vocabulary and dialect and 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 uh, the stuff that you have read or 
you, the way you have been brought up, the culture that you have been brought up, use words and produce words that can affect life or condemn somebody to death. No. God makes you competent. God gives you authority. So stop hiding behind weaknesses and trust God for the mission of God. Be sincere in the preaching of the gospel. Don't peddle the gospel. A true bearer of the gospel brings a person or in the presentation of the gospel clearly brings a person to the point of decision. The problem is when we dilute the gospel or dumb down the gospel or we kind of make it, you know what, let's just not offend the person. When we do that, then we are not true gospel bearers. The fragrance of Christ will either bring life or death. We don't go on building relationships forever. We are concerned for people. We are concerned for their eternity. We don't preach the gospel for, for ulterior motives. To, to yeah, so three people in the church are preaching the gospel. They come up over here on Sunday and share. So I got to do something. Let me just do something so that I can also come here. Or at least that, 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 that guilt is not there that I'm not doing anything. So let me just manufacture something. Faith cannot be sold as a commodity. The gospel cannot be made into a business model to satisfy anyone's ambition. There's only one motive for preaching the gospel. To be the aroma of Christ to God. Make that your focus. You are the aroma of Christ to God as you preach the gospel and live the gospel. Live gospel sent centered lives be sincere in your sharing of of the gospel to people outside and and within families within the church understand that you are commissioned to preach the gospel paul says that in verse 17 but as men of sincerity as commissioned by god the commission of the church. We are all under that commission to preach the gospel, make disciples. As commissioned by God. In the sight of God. Paul says, I preach the gospel with sincerity and care because of the weight of what it, what it does in worship and in, in leading people to life and death. I preach in the sight of God. He is accountable to God. As a church, you be accountable to scripture as to whether what you are preaching is right or wrong, whether you are preaching or not. Be accountable to scripture. Be accountable to one another. Be accountable about the times where, where you failed to live out the gospel in your identity as a slave to Christ. You failed to live out the gospel in your home. Be accountable of the times where you had an opportunity, where you could have brought the, 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 the fragrance of Christ to, to somebody, but then you were fearful. And you succumbed to that fear. Or you had the opportunity to live out the gospel as a slave of Christ, as a one to be made a public spectacle of, and you held on to your pride and did not forgive. Be accountable 
of the time where you thought that you know following following Christ in his triumphal procession it means I am also a general with five stars and nobody can say anything to me. That's a completely topsy-turvy idea. Jesus said whoever follows me you better take up your cross and follow me. Jesus himself was paraded by God to the glory of God as a criminal only to be sacrificed on that cross in Golgotha. But that sacrifice was a pleasing aroma to God. How are we different? Be accountable to one another in making Christ known. I want to close by a quote from from Jim Elliot where he prays and he says, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those whom I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost or a signboard on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Jesus Christ in me. Now this applies within the church, within our families, as well as in our evangelism. May that be our prayer. Let us pray. We thank you, O Lord, that you take weak vessels and make them strong. We thank you, O Lord, that you take the foolish of the world to shame the wise. We thank you, O Lord, that you take the things that are not to shame the things that are. We thank you, O Lord, that the very mechanism of the gospel and evangelism and discipleship is your strength being perfected in our weakness. Oh Lord, how thankful we are. We don't have to be perfect to come to you. But you take our weaknesses, our frailties and our shortcomings by your mercy, by your grace, by your steadfast love, by your kindness and you use them for your glory. What a mystery, Lord. Help us, O Lord, to be a church which bears the gospel in the way we live, in the way we think about ourselves, and in the way we preach. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.